Ethics Watch podcast by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read the current Ethics Watch bulletin on NIPT's website www.nypti.org slash ethics watch Brady, Giglio, Rosario Other Discovery Issues In March 2008, Ruben Alexander was fatally shot in front of 48 St. Paul's Place in Brooklyn. At trial, the people adduced the testimony of two eyewitnesses and another man whose testimony placed to at the scene before and after the shooting in the company of the victim and a third man, to corroborate that witness's testimony. The people introduced surveillance video footage from the apartment building where defendant lived which showed an individual generally matching the witness's description of defendant leave the building minutes before the shooting and return soon thereafter. The first eyewitness acknowledged on cross-examination that she had only seen a glimpse of the side of the shooter's face. The key eyewitness, Rashawn Cream, a childhood friend of both the victim and defendant, testified that he was talking with Alexander when Ulette shot Alexander at close range. Cream, however, did not come forward until some 10 months later when he was facing robbery and drug sale charges, he subsequently secured a plea agreement with reduced charges, although he told the jury that he had not been promised a lower sentence in exchange for his testimony against Alette. In summation, defense counsel emphasized that there was no video evidence to establish what happened in front of 48 St. Paul's. Court of Appeals People v. Ulette, the court unanimously reversed and ordered a new trial because the people violated their constitutional obligation to disclose a surveillance video that captured the scene at the time of the shooting, including images of the victim and a key prosecution witness, and the aggregate effect of the suppression of this evidence undermines confidence in the verdict. Backdrop Place at the time of the shooting. Referencing testimony that the building had surveillance cameras in the lobby. Defense counsel emphasized that no video from those cameras had been introduced. In her rejoinder to this line of argument, the prosecutor said, among other things, isn't it common sense that you would have seen that video if there had been a video? In fact, there was a video, which was not turned over until Ouellette's appellate counsel made a FOIL request several years after Ouellette was convicted and sentenced. At the hearing on the subsequent 440.10 motion, the trial prosecutor testified that although she had watched the video after presenting the case to the grand jury, she believed it did not constitute Brady material because it did not capture the shooter and the images were too washed out to identify anyone. The prosecutor put the video in a box for irrelevant evidence and forgot about it. In New York, where the defense did not specifically request the withheld information, the test of materiality is whether there is a reasonable probability that had it been disclosed to the defense, the result would have been different. In determining materiality, the question is not whether the defendant would more likely than not have received a different verdict with the evidence, but whether in its absence he received a fair trial, understood as a trial resulting in a verdict worthy of confidence. The defendant need not demonstrate that after discounting the inculpatory evidence in light of the undisclosed evidence, there would not have been enough left to convict. Defendant need only show that the favorable evidence could reasonably be taken to put the whole case in such a different light as to undermine confidence in the verdict. Although reasonable probability is a somewhat higher threshold than reasonable possibility, the court found the requisite measure of materiality was readily ascertainable here, the video, which captured the scene at the time of the murder, 
would have set the scene of the murder, identified other potential witnesses, served to impeach eyewitness testimony, and provided a basis for an argument that other suspects might have been involved in the shooting. Further, the prosecutor's statements in summation, which denied the existence of a video, compounded the prejudice to the defendant. These remarks characterized defense counsel's summation as a desperate attempt to distract the jury from the proof by reference to phantom evidence, when in fact the surveillance video did exist, it had been withheld, and it would have been useful to defendant's case. First Department People v. Terran found no merit in defendant's Brady arguments. The people made extensive and timely disclosures relating to civil cases filed against two police witnesses, and defendant had ample opportunity to use this material at trial but chose not to do so. Defendant's main complaint relates to a motion decision by a United States District Judge in one of the disclosed lawsuits, which defendant claims to have a bearing on the officer's credibility. Although the people did not disclose this particular decision, it was both a matter of public record and readily available to defendant by making an electronic search. Defendants claim that additional lawsuits against the testifying officers came to light after defendant's trial is likewise outside the record before us. Second Department People v. Smith Shannon rejected defendant's contention that the late disclosure of a 911 recording constituted a Brady violation. The recording of the 911 call made by the unidentified female declarant was disclosed to defense counsel 12 days before the court began taking testimony and, in any event, the contents of the call were inadmissible hearsay, as there was no evidence that the declarant personally observed the incident. Accordingly, the defendant cannot establish either that the people suppressed the evidence or that, even if it was suppressed, that suppression resulted in any prejudice to him. People v. Sicilianonunez, trial court properly denied defense motion for a mistrial, made after opening statements and prompted by the people's belated disclosure of a form which, in the defendant's view, tended to establish an intoxication defense that he might have employed during questioning at the pretrial Huntley hearing. In response to the late disclosure, the county court vacated the decision rendered after the pretrial Huntley hearing, directed a second Huntley hearing, offered defense counsel any reasonable adjournment to investigate the issues, informed the parties that it might consider other remedies at a later date, and directed the prosecutor not to have any conversation with her witness before the second Huntley hearing. Following the second Huntley hearing, the court adhered to its original determination. The trial court's remedy for the pretrial Rosario violation, a de novo suppression hearing, was wholly proper. Third Department People v. Workheiser, consolidated appeal from 2016 trial judgment of conviction for predatory sexual assault of a child, two counts, and county court's 2018 denial, without a hearing, of defendant's motion to vacate the judgment. Victims were, at the time of the charge defense's sisters of grade school age, Defendant was their dance instructor and their mother's lover, the two subsequently married. In 2011, as a result of a disclosure by the victims regarding sexual abuse by their mother, the victims were interviewed by investigators at the Binghamton Police Department. In that interview, which was videotaped, the victims stated that they were not abused by defendant. Ultimately, the mother was prosecuted by the Broome County District Attorney's Office. Subsequently, in 2013, after the victims disclosed that they were abused by defendant at the dance studio, the police department in the village of Waverly was contacted to conduct an investigation. After defendant was indicted in Tioga County based upon the 2013 disclosure, defense counsel filed an omnibus motion accompanied by an affidavit stating, 
as relevant here, that the victims were previously questioned by the Binghamton Police in 2011 and that the victims did not allege any sexual abuse by defendant in that interview. According to an affidavit of Cheryl Mancini, a Tioga County Assistant District Attorney, before the trial, she went to the Broome County District Attorney's Office to ensure compliance with defense counsel's motion requesting any and all Brady material. During the meeting, the Broome County District Attorney's Office did not provide or advise Mancini of the video. Mancini also met with defense counsel, who told her that he had the full file from the mother's case in Broome County, but he did not mention the video. Mancini further stated that she did not know or hear of the video until January 2017 when she spoke with Thomas Jackson, a Broome County Special Assistant District Attorney, who was prosecuting the mother in her second trial. Held, county court did not err in summarily denying Workheiser's 440.10 motion. The video of the Binghamton PD's 2011 interviews of the victims was not newly discovered evidence, nor was it Brady material entitling Workheiser to a new trial. Although the video is impeachment evidence, Defendant did not demonstrate that it was suppressed by the people or that she was prejudiced thereby. ADA Mancini's affidavit established that the video was created during the Broome County investigation, which was completely separate from the Tioga County investigation and prosecution, and that she was not in possession of the video prior to defendant's trial. See generally People v. Mangarillo. The video also cannot be considered suppressed by the people because defense counsel knew, or should have known, about the video. Also, Defendant has failed to show that the video was material, i.e., that there was a reasonable probability that it would have changed the outcome of the trial. Lastly, county court did not abuse its discretion in denying defendant's motion without a hearing because defendant's motion was not based upon non-record facts that are material and, if established, would entitle the defendant to relief. People v. Colin Velasquez rejected defendant's Rosario-based claim that a correction officer should not have been allowed to take the stand as a prosecution witness, at trial for promoting prison contraband, because the audio recording that he received of the correction officer's testimony given at defendant's prison disciplinary hearing had gaps in it, and thereby thwarted meaningful cross-examination of the CO. Initially, we disagree with defendant's characterization that a Rosario violation occurred because statements of witnesses made during a prison disciplinary proceeding are not within the people's control and do not constitute Rosario material. Even assuming that the audio recording constituted Rosario material, we conclude that county court's decision to give an adverse inference instruction, as opposed to precluding the correction officer's testimony, was not an abuse of discretion. Grand Jury First Department People v. McKinney, App. Division reinstated indictment dismissed by trial court on the ground that a police officer, who had not witnessed either incident, but who knew defendant from the area, identified defendant in the surveillance videotapes played for the grand jury. This testimony was not impermissible and it did not render the grand jury proceedings defective. The detective testified from his personal knowledge. Moreover, unlike trial jurors who can normally observe a defendant in court, Grand jurors do not have that means of making a comparison between a videotape and a defendant's appearance. In so holding, we express no opinion on the admissibility of a similar identification at trial. The exceptional remedy of dismissal was not warranted. People v. Giamagas, trial court did not err when it denied defendants' mid-trial motion to dismiss the indictment, contending that the integrity of the grand jury proceeding had been impaired by by materially false testimony. At trial, the victim explained that he had given incorrect testimony in the grand jury about the contents of a document, as the result of having forgotten a handwritten provision later added to the document. 
there is no merit to defendant's claim that this event entitled him to the extraordinary remedy of dismissal. There was no impairment of the grand jury proceeding based on such honestly mistaken testimony, and dismissal was not warranted. In any event, regardless of whether the victim was mistaken or intentionally untruthful in his grand jury testimony, this was not a case like People v. Pelchant, where the indictment was based solely on perjured testimony. Second Department People v. Arevalo, People's Appeal from Dismissal of Indictment, charging defendant with murder to, vehicular manslaughter, and related offenses, on the ground that prosecutorial misconduct in the grand jury warranted dismissal. App, DIV, reversed and reinstated the indictment. The prosecutor was not obligated to present evidence that the defendant now claims to be favorable to the defense, as such evidence was not entirely exculpatory and would not have materially influenced the grand jury's investigation. Accordingly, the prosecutor's conduct with regard to this allegedly exculpatory evidence did not violate her ethical obligations. Further, the prosecutor properly presented expert testimony to the grand jury on a matter that was beyond the ken of the average juror. Finally, the defendant was not entitled to pre-indictment discovery of Brady material. People v. Sicilian Onunez, even if defendant had preserved his argument that grand jury proceedings were rendered defective owing to absence of instruction on defense of intoxication, dismissal would not be ordered. Like a mitigating defense, intoxication merely reduces the gravity of the offense by negating an element, and a prosecutor is required to instruct the grand jury as to complete defenses, but not as to those defenses that may only reduce the degree or gravity of the crime. Third Department People v. Mosley, people conceded that Mosley's CPW conviction under a second superseding indictment, filed following the declaration of a mistrial on the prior superseding indictment, should be reversed. When county court declared the mistrial, it did not dismiss the superseding indictment or authorize the people to re-present new charges to a grand jury. Accordingly, the people were limited to retrying defendant upon the superseding indictment. The second superseding indictment was a nullity, and any action or consequence that flowed from its filing, was necessarily a nullity as well. Third Department therefore reversed the conviction and remitted the matter for further proceedings on the first superseding indictment. People v. Henriquez, indictment reinstated upon People's appeal to App. DIV, from County Court's order dismissing the indictment on the ground that the integrity of the grand jury proceeding had been impaired due to the People's inadequate inquiry of a grand juror's potential bias. The grand juror in question was a retired school teacher who had not seen the testifying witness, a former student, in years. When asked if there was anything else that would affect his ability to be fair and impartial, the grand juror declared, no. In our view, the relationship between the grand juror and the witness was not a close relationship so as to give rise to the possibility of prejudice. Furthermore, although the prosecutor's voir dire of the grand juror was brief, we are satisfied that, based upon his unequivocal response thereto, the grand juror's impartiality was not compromised. We also note that the grand jurors unanimously voted to indict defendant and, therefore, it is speculative to conclude that the grand juror at issue might have influenced the other grand jurors. Additionally, our review of the grand jury minutes reveals that legally sufficient evidence was presented to the grand jury. Accordingly, we find that the exceptional and drastic remedy of dismissal of the indictment was not warranted under the circumstances of this case, and county court erred in granting defendant's motion. Fourth Department People v. Hicks, 
trial court properly denied motion for dismissal of the indictment on the ground that the people failed to provide reasonable notice of the grand jury proceedings. A defendant does not have to be given a specific time period for notice, rather, reasonable time must be accorded to allow a defendant an opportunity to consult with defense counsel and decide whether to testify before a grand jury. The people gave defendant and his attorney 23 hours notice that the matter was to be presented to the grand jury, which, under the specific circumstances of this case, constituted reasonable notice. Moreover, inasmuch as the indictment was not filed until approximately two months later and during that time neither defendant nor defense counsel notified the people that defendant intended to testify before the grand jury, we conclude that defendant was not deprived of the right to testify. People v. Balao Defendant's appeal from plea conviction of leaving the scene of an incident resulting in serious injury without reporting held in abeyance matter remitted to the Supreme Court. Proper for court below to grant the people's CPL space 190.75 application to represent the matter to a second grand jury, after a no-bill had been returned, on the ground that a witness, who had offered false testimony before the first grand jury, had recently agreed to cooperate with the people and testify truthfully. Such averred truthful testimony was new evidence which may give rise to a second presentment. But the Supreme Court should have ruled on that part of defendant's omnibus motion seeking to have the court compare the evidence from the two grand jury proceedings to determine whether the prosecutor had, in fact, presented the promised new evidence to the second grand jury. Because the app division does not have the power to review issues either decided in an appellant's favor, or not ruled upon, by the trial court. We cannot deem the court's failure to rule on that part of the motion as a denial thereof. We therefore hold the case, reserve decision, and remit the matter to Supreme Court for a determination whether the people, in fact, presented new evidence to the second grand jury and, if not, whether dismissal of the indictment is warranted on that ground. Voir Dyer Third Department People v. Kirkley, in affirming the drug convictions, the Third Department ruled, inter alia, that the trial court did not err in denying the defendant's Batson challenges concerning two prospective jurors, both African Americans, struck by the people. The prosecutor offered race-neutral explanations, and defense counsel failed to then persuade the court that the stated reasons were pretextual and to make a record that would support that conclusion. The race-neutral reasons given by the trial prosecutor. Prospective juror number 17 was emotionally close to an incarcerated relative described herself as shocked by how her relative's prosecution was handled, had struggled generally to answer questions, and perceptibly hesitated before saying she could be impartial. Prosecutor distinguished her from another prospective juror who also had an incarcerated relative, but who was not close to the relative and had strongly confirmed that she could be impartial. Prospective juror number 19 had worked with large numbers of drug addicts in her role as a human services counselor and the people stated that they intended to strike any prospective juror who was overly sympathetic or who had an involved history with drug users. Fourth Department People v. Albert, trial prosecutor offered race-neutral reasons in response to defense counsel's Batson challenge. The father and a brother of one prospective jury had criminal convictions. The second prospective juror disclosed that he had recently read two books by a writer the prosecutor described as a black revolutionary typewriter, who had very anti-government anti-law and order type views. Contrary to defendant's contention, the prospective juror's exposure to anti-police and anti-establishment sentiments was a race-neutral reason for the exclusion of that prospective juror. Opening First Department
People v. Folk, grand jury testimony of a witness indicating that defendant fired an errant shot that struck a bystander as defendant and a companion fled from another group following a verbal altercation should not have been read into the record as part of the People's direct case and relied upon by the trial prosecutor in summation. As the People acknowledged on defendant's appeal, the testimony was not admissible under the past recollection recorded exception to the hearsay rule, because the witness did not testify at trial that the grand jury testimony correctly represented his knowledge and recollection when made and was not admissible for impeachment purposes under CPL 60.35 because the witness's trial testimony that he could not remember the relevant events did not affirmatively damage the case of the party calling him. Error deemed harmless with respect to CPW 2 conviction possession of loaded firearm outside home, place of business, Penal Law 265.03-3, but not harmless re-convictions for Assault 1 and CPW 2 under SUBD, 1 of Penal Law 265.03, possession of weapon with intent to use unlawfully against another, AP, DIV, ordered new trial of those two counts and resentencing on the conviction it left standing. People v. Benjamin, trial court did not err in declining to dismiss the indictment, charging defendant with promoting prison contraband, because of the belated, mid-trial production disclosure of New York City Department of Correction reports. The prosecutor had made diligent efforts to obtain this Rosario material sooner, but it had been misfiled by a correction officer. The court provided a suitable remedy when it gave counsel a two-day adjournment to review the material before cross-examining certain witnesses, along with the opportunity to recall other witnesses for further cross-examination based on the belatedly disclosed material. Accordingly, defense counsel received this material when it was still useful because he was able to cross-examine the applicable witnesses effectively, and defendant has not shown any substantial prejudice from the delay in disclosure. The court also providently exercised its discretion when it declined to strike the testimony of a correction officer again the only remedy requested, based on his belated disclosure of a calendar book entry. The sparse entry contained information already known to defendant, namely, the times and locations of the officer's duties on the day of the incident. Defendant was able to cross-examine the officer about the entry, and there was likewise no prejudice. To the extent defendant is claiming that the alleged nondisclosure of a videotape also constituted a Rosario violation, we find that the record fails to support defendant's assertion that such a videotape ever existed. Second Department People v. Taylor, App. Division agreed with defendant that his Fourth Amendment rights were violated by admission of historic cell site information obtained without a warrant. The trial court's order requiring release of the CSLI under the Stored Communications Act, which order made no express finding of probable cause, was not effectively a warrant supported by probable cause. The people improperly introduced evidence that he invoked his rights to remain silent and to counsel, People v. Romero. But it concluded that the errors, individually and cumulatively, should not give rise to reversal because the evidence of the defendant's guilt was overwhelming, and there was no reasonable possibility that the errors might have contributed to the defendant's convictions. People v. Juarez. The trial court should not have allowed the people to elicit testimony from one of the eyewitnesses that, while he was testifying, he felt intimidated by a courtroom spectator who allegedly was a member of the co-defendant's gang. However, this error was harmless, as there was overwhelming evidence of the defendant's guilt, and no significant probability that the alleged error contributed to his conviction. People v. Ramirez, Ricardo, at trial on charges of assault, criminal contempt and harassment, 
the people were properly permitted to adduce evidence of defendants' prior bad acts against the complainant. This evidence was relevant background material regarding the defendant's relationship with the complainant, to explain the issuance of a temporary order of protection, and as evidence of the defendant's motive and intent in the commission of the charged crimes. People v. Dorant, refusing to order a new trial on the ground that the people should not have been permitted to introduce evidence at the trial of three alleged but uncharged incidents of sexually inappropriate conduct by the defendant involving the child victim who testified to the defendant's underlying the first-degree sexual abuse count of the indictment. That evidence provided necessary background information about the nature of the relationship between the defendant and the child, and explained the child's conduct the probative value of the evidence outweighed the prejudice to the defendant, and prejudice to the defendant was minimized by the court's limiting instructions. Third Department People v. Dunham, defendant convicted of sexual acts committed against physically helpless victim, who was a weekend guest in the home shared by defendant and his significant other. In unanimously affirming the verdict, the app. Division court held. The prosecutor was properly permitted to ask leading questions of the significant other, who was called to the stand during the people's case in chief, because the woman was defendant's long-term romantic partner. Her testimony differed from what she had previously told the prosecutor about the incident and county court noted her recalcitrant demeanor on the stand. The prosecutor did not err in eliciting testimony from the victim regarding her morning after disclosure to the significant other who had had testified to her conversation with the victim without objection. The SO's account was less detailed but not radically different from that of the victim, and the conversation explained the actions of the two women and defendant as the day unfolded. There was, as a result, nothing inappropriate in allowing the victim to provide her version of it. Direct. First Department. People v. Folk, grand jury testimony of a witness indicating that defendant fired an errant shot that struck a bystander as defendant and a companion fled from another group following a verbal altercation should not have been read into the record as part of the people's direct case and relied upon by the trial prosecutor in summation. As the people acknowledged on defendant's appeal, the testimony was not admissible under the past recollection recorded exception to the hearsay rule, because the witness did not testify at trial that the grand jury testimony correctly represented his knowledge and recollection when made and was not admissible for impeachment purposes under CPL 60.35 because the witness's trial testimony that he could not remember the relevant events did not affirmatively damage the case of the party calling him. Error deemed harmless with respect to CPW 2 conviction possession of loaded firearm outside home, place of business, Penal Law 265.03-3, but not harmless reconvictions for Assault 1 and CPW 2 under SUBD, 1 of Penal Law 265.03 possession of weapon with intent to use unlawfully against another, AP, DIV, ordered new trial of those two counts and resentencing on the conviction it left standing. People v. Benjamin, trial court did not err in declining to dismiss the indictment, charging defendant with promoting prison contraband, because of the belated, mid-trial production disclosure of New York City Department of Correction reports. The prosecutor had made diligent efforts to obtain this Rosario material sooner, but it had been misfiled by a correction officer. The court provided a suitable remedy when it gave counsel a two-day adjournment to review the material before cross-examining certain witnesses, along with the opportunity to recall other witnesses for further cross-examination based on the belatedly disclosed material. Accordingly, defense counsel received this material when it was still useful because he was able to cross-examine the applicable witnesses effectively, and defendant has not shown any substantial prejudice from the delay in disclosure. 
The court also providently exercised its discretion when it declined to strike the testimony of a correction officer again the only remedy requested based on his belated disclosure of a calendar book entry. The sparse entry contained information already known to defendant, namely, the times and locations of the officer's duties on the day of the incident. Defendant was able to cross-examine the officer about the entry, and there was likewise no prejudice. To the extent defendant is claiming that the alleged nondisclosure of a videotape also constituted a Rosario violation, we find that the record fails to support defendant's assertion that such a videotape ever existed. Second Department People v. Taylor, App. D.I.V., agreed with defendant that his Fourth Amendment rights were violated by admission of historic cell site information obtained without a warrant. The trial court's order requiring release of the CSLI under the Stored Communications Act, which order made no express finding of probable cause, was not effectively a warrant supported by probable cause. The people improperly introduced evidence that he invoked his rights to remain silent and to counsel. People v. Romero but it concluded that the errors, individually and cumulatively, should not give rise to reversal because the evidence of the defendant's guilt was overwhelming, and there was no reasonable possibility that the errors might have contributed to the defendant's convictions. People v. Juarez, the trial court, should not have allowed the people to elicit testimony from one of the eyewitnesses that, while he was testifying, he felt intimidated by a courtroom spectator who allegedly was a member of the co-defendant's gang. However, this error was harmless, as there was overwhelming evidence of the defendant's guilt, and no significant probability that the alleged error contributed to his conviction. People v. Ramirez Ricardo, at trial on charges of assault, criminal contempt and harassment, the people were properly permitted to adduce evidence of defendant's prior bad acts against the complainant. This evidence was relevant background material regarding the defendant's relationship with the complainant, to explain the issuance of a temporary order of protection, and as evidence of the defendant's motive and intent in the commission of the charged crime citing to, inter alia, People v. Bitrolf, and People v. Hansen. People v. Dorant, refusing to order a new trial on the ground that the people should not have been permitted to introduce evidence at the trial of three alleged but uncharged incidents of sexually inappropriate conduct by the defendant involving the child victim who testified to the defendant's underlying the first-degree sexual abuse count of the indictment. That evidence provided necessary background information about the nature of the relationship between the defendant and the child, and explained the child's conduct. The probative value of the evidence outweighed the prejudice to the defendant, and prejudice to the defendant was minimized by the court's limiting instructions. Third Department People v. Dunham, defendant convicted of sexual acts committed against physically helpless victim, who was a weekend guest in the home shared by defendant and his significant other. In unanimously affirming the verdict, the app. D.I.V. court held. The prosecutor was properly permitted to ask leading questions of the significant other, who was called to the stand during the people's case in chief, because the woman was defendant's long-term romantic partner, her testimony differed from what she had previously told the prosecutor about the incident and county court noted her recalcitrant demeanor on the stand. The prosecutor did not err in eliciting testimony from the victim regarding her morning after disclosure to the significant other, who had had testified to her conversation with the victim without objection. The SOS account was less detailed but not radically different from that of the victim, and the conversation explained the actions of the two women and defendant as the day unfolded. There was, as a result, nothing inappropriate in allowing the victim to provide her version of it. Cross-examination. Second Department. People v. Walters, 
conviction reversed and new trial ordered because the prosecutor repeatedly violated strictures of Sandoval ruling, precluding cross-examination as to facts underlying defendants' two prior felony convictions. By virtue of the improper cross-examination, the jury in this residential burglary case involving DNA evidence learned that the defendant had a prior arrest and conviction for a residential burglary involving DNA evidence. The second department rejected the people's initial argument on appeal that Walters had opened the door to the improper cross-examination, which had not been preceded by the prosecutor asking the trial court to amend its original Sandoval ruling. Nor could the error be deemed harmless, even though the trial court later gave clear and forceful limiting instructions, as it was probable that the jury drew an improper conclusion of propensity. Furthermore, had the jurors not heard the prejudicial details of the defendant's prior criminal record, they may have been more receptive to his testimony providing an alternative explanation for why his DNA was found at the scene. Second Department. People v. James, while it was improper for the prosecutor to state that, but for the police work, this gun would still be on the streets today, the trial court promptly instructed the jury to disregard that comment. Fourth Department. People v. Farrington, defendant, an inmate at Attica Correctional Facility, convicted at trial of second-degree assault for the slashing of a fellow inmate. In affirming the conviction, the app. Division rejected, inter alia, Farrington's claim that the prosecutor's summation denied him a fair trial. In his summation, defense counsel informed the jurors that the trial had taken them into a very strange environment, an environment that's foreign to all of us. State prison is a violent, unpredictable place. After noting the absence of the victim from the trial, defense counsel invited the jurors to speculate about why the victim was not there. In response, the prosecutor asked the jurors to use their common sense to determine the reasons that the victim may not have wanted to cooperate with the trial, noting that testimony had established that the victim was still incarcerated on the same cell block in the same prison, i.e., an environment that defense counsel had described as strange, foreign and violent. Contrary to defendants' contentions, we conclude that the prosecutor's comments concerning the failure of the victim to testify were a fair response to the summation of defense counsel, and that the prosecutor did not improperly suggest that any uncharged crimes had been committed by defendant. We further conclude that the prosecutor did not act as an unsworn witness inasmuch as the prosecutor did not present his opinion as to why the victim did not appear in court to testify. People v. Vic, Choney expressly rejected preserved contentions that prosecutorial misconduct had denied defendant a fair trial. The prosecutor's use of a jigsaw puzzle visual on summation to explain the people's burden of proof and reasonable doubt was not improper. The trial prosecutor should not have remarked at the beginning of his summation that he declined to object during defense counsel's summation, not because he agreed with everything that defense counsel said but because he thought that it was important that the jury hear everything that defense counsel had to say. That remark implied that, if defense counsel were to object during the prosecutor's summation, then defense counsel would be trying to keep information from the jury, and was an improper attempt to discourage defense counsel from objecting during the prosecutor's summation. We do not condone that type of conduct, but we nevertheless conclude that the improper remark was not so egregious as to deprive defendant of a fair trial. Miscellaneous First Department P. 
People v. Taylor, the people offer no excuse for more than one year of the delay in defendant sentencing, a period that began when the prosecution received actual notice, provided by defense counsel, that defendant was in custody in another state and wished to be produced for sentencing on this case, therefore, notwithstanding prior delays caused by defendant, we find that the delay attributable to the people was unreasonably long, thus, the sentencing court should have granted defendant's motion to dismiss the indictment pursuant to CPL 380.3 on the ground of delay in sentencing. Disciplinary other proceedings, sanctions. Third Department. In May, the Third Department suspended, effective immediately, more than 2,300 lawyers from the practice of law who had failed to comply, for two or more, consecutive biennial periods, with the attorney registration requirements of Judiciary Law 468A and Part 118 of the Rules of the Chief Administrator of the Courts. Matter of Attorneys in Violation of Judiciary Law 468A. Other news from around the U.S. Kentucky. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed two drug dealers' convictions on the ground of prosecutorial misconduct in the questioning of witnesses and in summation, the AUSA vouched for the government's witnesses, questioned one of the defendant's religious practices, and in summation, held that defendant up for scorn because of his prayers to a false idol, in violation of the one of the Ten Commandments. Pennsylvania the former district attorney of Mercer County, whose license to practice law was temporarily suspended in April, following his conviction of multiple counts of obstruction of justice and official oppression, has now been disbarred by the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. The May 30, 2019 order was entered with his consent. Ethics Watch podcast by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read the current Ethics Watch Bulletin on NIPT's website. www.nypti.org slash ethicswatch.